The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Good morning. My name is Jacob Wishoff, and I am an elder here at The Refuge Church. Please pray with me this morning as I pray for our county, our country, and for the people who have served in the armed forces, um, for sacrificing their lives and giving us freedom. So let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you so much that we have the freedom to meet and talk about you, whether in homes or whether online, Lord. I just pray that you would Bless those that are away from their families that might be overseas, Lord, as we have been facing the coronavirus and all the other things that are happening in our world right now. And I pray that you would keep them safe and keep our bodies safe as we are not meeting together currently. And help us, Lord, to encourage one another to follow after you to be excited about you and to share you in conversations, whether they're over the phone or online or when we're standing six feet apart. I pray that you still receive the glory of our lives. In your name we pray, amen. So this morning we're going to conclude our series, Joshua, Enter the Promise. And here we enter the middle of a story God has called his people out of slavery and into freedom. They have left, but they have not yet arrived. The journey has been difficult. Many have been lost along the way. Now they stand on the threshold. The promise is before them. What will it take to enter the promise? God has not stopped making and keeping promises God has made an eternal promise to all those who are his children. What will it take to experience that promise? And before we jump in today, I kind of want to recap where we've been. Because Refuge Church, we have traveled some distance through the book of Joshua to end up exactly where we find ourselves this morning. And what we've seen is we have seen Joshua called and commissioned to replace Moses where he is told that he is going to lead Israel into the promised land. We have seen the protection of Israel's two spies by Rahab, who by trusting God has entered the family of God. We have seen the Israelites crossing the Jordan into the land of Canaan. And many kings and kingdoms brought to ruin, including that of Jericho. We see Israel's sin that was committed by Achan, that attempted to stymie the mission of God and the mission that he had given Israel to inherit the promised land. And we see Achan punished, and then Israel continues by renewing their covenant for that mission. And then led by God, Israel is brought success over more territories due to their trust. We see the tribes of Gibeon in fear trick the Israelite into believing that they were a neighboring tribe that was coming to seek refuge among them, but because they genuinely desired to be a part of God's family, 
Joshua honors the promise after finding out who they truly were. We see a son standing still over Gibeon. We see more kings and cities conquered, as well as a list of defeated kings from both Moses and Joshua. And then we see divisions of land on the east side of the Jordan and the west side of the Jordan. So we have nine and a half on one side and two and a half on the other side. We see allotments to Caleb and Joshua, cities of refuge that have been built, towns that have been created for the Levites. And then we see Joshua giving his farewell just last week, imparting his wisdom to those that were listening in Israel, in the promised land. Which brings us up to this week. And in preparation to this morning, I was sitting in my beautiful patio space that my wife recently created, and I was watching a landscaper that was working very hard on our yard. And to be honest, if yard work was left to me, I wouldn't know where to start or where to end. I I had an idea of what I would want it to look like, but I have no idea how to get from one point to the other. So I have to apologize in advance to some of our experienced gardeners like Cindy Frederick and the Berg clan, because I would be lost if it was left up to me, because it's like advanced algebra, which means it's super confusing. But as I watched, what I noticed was a lot of hard work that was done in a process. And as I watched him rip up the flower beds, taking out all the old bark, the old soil with tools that I don't even know the name of, I was amazed, mostly because to the common person, this would look like a huge mess. However, what struck me the most was at the end of the day, how much more presentable my yard had become. And how my neighbors had thought it looked nice and they began to talk about it. Now had the landscaper stopped and got in his truck after day one, handed me the bill and said I am done, I would have been terribly upset. Because my yard would have been in shambles. But he didn't. Each day, his consistency and ability to continue where he left off seeing the bigger picture continued to make a bigger and bigger impact overall. And my yard was amazing to look at. My point is this, while some of the path this landscaper was taking looked a little muddled, his ability to see the bigger picture, commit to the work, and trusting what he knew he was doing to finish the job, not just finish the job, but that he was set to end well. My house, the gardens would be beautiful and speak of a job well done, and that's what I want to talk about today. While Joshua's era is finishing, his focus remained the same. Although Achan's sin and many instances of Israel's unfaithfulness attempted to thwart God's plan, Joshua was focused on other things. And if we were to put those things into practice, no matter how muddled or murky our lives may become, with our eyes on the bigger picture and committing to what we have known, we will see that we too can end well. So my big question for you today is, how do we end well? And the big idea is that God prepared the way. Now we must walk in the way. The majority of our scripture that we will focus on today is from Joshua 24. I believe we see a type of blueprint that will help ensure that we end well. For the sake of time, I'm going to break the passage down into three sections instead of reading all 33 verses. And I encourage you when you have time to read all 33 verses. So let's jump in. Look at Joshua 24, 1. 
Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, and judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. So what I want you to picture here is a huge gathering where all of the people have assembled together, and this is truly a huge event taking place. And Joshua is making sure that the tribes are understanding completely what is important for them if they are to end well. Joshua 24.2 Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel say. And I want you to notice that in order for Joshua to speak this directly on God's behalf, he had to be divinely appointed. So this is the earmark of someone who would finish well, a man who is very much so in tune with God. You do not wake up with this privilege in the morning to be able to speak on God's behalf or to lead others. He knew God, he truly loved God, and he practiced trusting God with his life. Joshua's story doesn't begin in Joshua chapter 1. We actually see him in Numbers 13 as him and Joshua, as Joshua and Caleb were sent out as two spies among 12 spies into the promised land to go take a look to see if the land was indeed good as the Lord had said and if they were to take it. And Joshua and Caleb, who believed and trusted God that they could go and take the land, were actually told because of their faith that they would enter the promised land. So we see from early on that Joshua was actually a man who took God's word serious and he trusted and the provision and the protection that God had laid out before him. So what was Joshua's faith in? And this is our first point this morning. And I want you to notice that Joshua 24, 1 through 14 is speaking of our first point. That we will end well if we trust God's provision and protection for our lives. What we see from verses 1 through 14 in Joshua 24 is a list of things that God had done for his people. And if you recall, through this same history, there were many times where Israel went off and did their own thing. However, for those that were faithful, God continued his promise. God, using Joshua as a mediator between man and himself, establishes here that he has prepared a way and that the way he has prepared is a way that we must trust and walk in. God's protection and provision is proof of his faithfulness. So let's just look at some of these examples. Back to verse 2. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. This was first mentioned in Genesis. God was going to take Abraham and bring him into a new land, and he was going to give him innumerable offspring. We see proof of this in the 12 tribes in the book of Joshua. Abraham had become the father of many nations that came to know and fear the Lord. And what I find incredible about this is right from the beginning, God is setting this entire story of where he started where the promise came that he took Abraham out of idol worship and he pulled him apart and set him aside for himself. And he said, from you, a great nation will come and that your descendants will be innumerable among nations. And 
it's incredible because it's God. The promise starts with God and God is seeing through his promise. And this is what Joshua has built his life around believing in. Look at verses 3 and 4. As we look at the lineage that God had provided to continue his promise, the promise that he has kept and has gone to great lengths to keep, it says that he gave Abraham Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I assigned the hill country of Sire to Esau, but Jacob and his family went to Egypt. Notice again, God says, I. It was still God fulfilling his promise through them. And it was through Abraham's lineage to show the Israelites the continuity of his promise. Israel becomes enslaved to Egypt along the way and were slaves for several hundreds of years. And at this point in the story, I think most of us, if we were enslaved for even one year, we would probably say the promise is over. There's nothing left. But that's not what we see here. We see God continuing to work because in verse 5 through 8 we see Moses and Aaron as God has chosen them to help lead Israel out of slavery in Egypt and how does he do that if you remember Pharaoh had a hardened heart and wasn't willing to let the Israelites go and God provided plagues and then when they finally were out of Egypt they came to the Red Sea And as they were going through the Red Sea, they cried out because Egypt was hot on pursuit after them. And as they did that, God closed the Red Sea over Egypt. And that's just more to show his provision and protection. That God has created a path and he has all the details of the path mapped out. And that he is going to continue to work to keep his promise. And it is our job to trust in that provision and protection that he offers. I kind of find it funny that a lot of times we will look at other things and we kind of get off base and our focus is no longer God because we forget how detailed God is or what God does. And I look at stories like even Noah and the ark and how, how the ark was built was completely laid out by God to Noah. I look at stories like the story of um, the coming promise and then just all the details that come out of that and how each one plays a part to make this bigger story of God's promise finally being fulfilled. And this is the same God that we cannot forget who later would provide manna to feed the Israelites while they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years and while they grumbled and complained and asked to go back into slavery God continued to provide for them faithfully. And when manna wasn't enough, he even sent quail for them. And even further, if you look at verse 13, God reminds the people that he gave them the land that they did not live in nor work. He gave them cities that they did not build and he gave them food from vineyards and olive groves that they did not harvest. God had given them Canaan with very little work on their part. As they were going to war, God was giving people into their hands because of their trust in him, not because of their military skill. God had completely provided for them. 
And God was still protecting them because if you look at verse 8 where it's talking about how Balak, the king of Moab, had gone and grabbed Balaam, the son of Beor, to come and put a curse on them because he was a diviner, that instead of cursing them, God turned his curses into blessing because God was so much more powerful than the things that were coming up against them. And God, because Israel was his nation, would not allow a curse to befall them. And then how about verse 12, where it talks about, I set a hornet before you. And I was thinking about that, and hornet is actually a term that is used in military most often when it comes to ancient times. And really what was taking place was he was bringing fear to those that would oppose Israel. So God was providing and protecting in ways that Israel could not do for themselves. And here's Joshua speaking on God's behalf. And this is absolutely what God had allowed Joshua to put his trust in. And Joshua held this. It's the same thing that caused the Gibeons, Gibeonites to come to Joshua and to say, we are a neighboring tribe and we are looking to become a part of what's going on because we know that your God is the true God out of fear and respect because of what God had done. It's the same thing that caused the kings that were nearby their hearts to melt in fear because God was a real God and they were watching as the Israelites would take the, Canaan, the land of the Canaanites. At no point in this story, as we look at verses 1 through 14, do we see God putting the world on autopilot and allowing what happens to happen. We don't see God stepping aside and just allowing things to happen, but we see a very active God working on the behalf of Israel. And that is what Joshua trusted, that God was going to continue to provide and protect it. As God had told him that you will enter the promised land, he was making it possible for that to happen. And he was sustaining what needed to happen in order for them to do that. And this is where we need to find ourselves. What are we putting our trust in this morning? Do we look at all the things that God has provided, that God has promised, that God has protected us, and are we putting our trust in that? Is God our focus? Or is it a relationship? Divorce rates are skyrocketing across the globe, and especially in our country. Or is it a job that has great benefits, a retirement plan? We've noticed that that doesn't seem to guarantee anything anymore, especially during COVID-19. What about a new medication, constantly decreasing and upping dosages, hoping to find the right mix to feel better? I'm not saying don't take medicine, but I'm saying to pray along with it because God is the ultimate physician and healer. Is it a skill or a talent? I have friends who are great cosmetologists that have developed carpal tunnel and now are forced to retire at a young age. Joshua was a very successful man in combat, but here he is not relishing in old war stories. He's telling Israel that we're going to end well when we trust in God's provision and protection. 
that God's provision and protection is the success of my story, that my trust in God is the success that we've had. It isn't because I can swing a sword or throw a stone. It's because God is protecting and providing for us as he said he would. And that leads us to the second part. If you notice in Joshua 24, 15, there's a verse that's very memorable. And we hear it all the time. And we see it written on people's doorposts. And it says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And as I was younger, I used to read that almost as from an individual perspective. And I think it's a charge because what we're going to see is that number two, we will end well when we lead our household faithfully. Because what it's talking about is how a leader is truly a leader when they're leading their family and their household well. Joshua was committed to leading those in his household in the way of God and the way that God had laid out for them. Joshua is telling Israel to get away from all of the foreign gods because God will not have any equal. This isn't the first time we see this. We see a story in Genesis, much like this one, where Dinah was defiled by the Shechemites who had raped her. And then the father of the one who had raped her had come to Jacob. And he had asked that they would become part of the fold and intermix and intermarry. And the men had agreed to do this. <clears throat> and so that family was circumcised. And as they were waiting to be healed, the ones who had raped Dinah, Jacob's family had come in and they slayed or slew every single one of them. And in that, they plundered everything from these people. And so with that came all these foreign gods and idols and things that were not of God. And they were brought into the homes of the Israelites. And so the Israelites at the time were starting to serve other gods as part of their custom in possession of these things. And so Jacob, in a moment, just like we see here with Joshua said to his household and to all who are with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all their foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears and Jacob buried them under the oak of Shechem. Israel was to have no other God but the one true God. And that would make them end well to trust that God. Joshua was giving an example of how to lead a household faithfully. Obedience to God is completely serious. And while I don't think and I'm hoping and praying that in our homes we don't have things that we see as idols, I took it one step further and I was thinking about some things that surely bring me comfort or that I enjoy, that for the sake of my family, I have to let go of because 
there won't be freedom or the ability to see Christ in his true light if I allow some of these things to be there. For example, Scarlett was in the car one day and we were driving and she brought up a memory that I thought she had forgotten. You see, a few years ago, I was watching one of those CW11 superhero shows. And while I don't think CW11 is bad and I don't think superhero shows are bad because I love superheroes, what had happened was the villain had actually deposed of someone and it sent Scarlet into nightmares because she walked downstairs as I was watching this show. And while I thought she was asleep, this image and this thought that kept popping up in her mind was from this show that I had been watching. And so years go by and I'm driving in the car and Scarlett's in the back seat and she's just crying. And I said, well, what's wrong? And Nana's there and my wife is there and Sydney's there. And Scarlett says, I just keep seeing it. And I said, what do you keep seeing? And she said, I keep seeing the bad part, Dad. Do you remember when we were watching that show and that happened to that guy? I just, I just can't, Dad. I can't. I can't get it out of my mind. And every time I see a wooded area, I think of a villain's hideout. And so you know what I said? I said, Scarlett, get over it. Actually, I didn't say that. I actually got out of my car when we got to our house, and I sat down with Scarlett outside, and I asked her to tell me exactly what happened in her head, what she had been thinking. And we started to pray, and I said, I want you to close your eyes and envision what's taking place, and she did that. And as she did that, I said, all right, now I want you to close your eyes again, and I want you to envision Jesus coming into this room, and what is he doing? And she said that he was protecting and stopping this man from being hurt. And I said, that is exactly right, Scarlett. Jesus is a provider and a protector, and that he is here to protect you and to provide for you. And those things you saw are not of Jesus. And I'm sorry that I allowed you to see that, but I will tell you that I will not watch that show if it's gonna take Jesus's picture and who Jesus is and make you think different of him because he's that important. Have we decided to remove the things of our household that have stopped people from seeing God who, as who he truly is and from seeing ourselves in light of who he is? Are we, are we taking down things that have nothing to do with what is ours? I think it's amazing because God has called us apart just like Abraham, as we talked about earlier. And that's something Joshua was trying to tell us, was that you can, you can decide this day, and you are to decide this day who you're going to serve after seeing God with your own eyes, all those different things that he did to provide and protect you. But you have to serve someone. And today, you can either go back to serving the gods beyond the Euphrates, or you can come and serve God. And that's what my household is going to do. And I think what's remarkable is the response that the, that the Israelites give because it takes good leadership to render that response. And they say to him that they're going to follow him because it was him, it was God that had brought them to freedom and it was God who led them every step of the way. And it's funny because what Joshua says next almost leaves me in fear. And we're going to get into that as we explain the third point, which is we will end well when we finish the way that we started. 
And I know what you're thinking off the bat, and that is, what if I wasn't in a God-fearing, God-honoring home? What I mean by this is that when you made a promise, you made a real promise to God, and at that point, you are to look different and to be changed and to seek and follow and walk after him. And when you live that lifestyle, and just like the landscaper in my yard who piece by piece was building, and you build on your relationship with Jesus, and you're getting closer and closer to Jesus, closer and closer to God, that you continue to live that out, that you finish that way, that you stay committed, that you trust the provision and protection, that you have made a stand for your home, and that you are going to continue to walk in that path until you leave earth. I appreciate last week when Ibrahim mentioned Solomon, because we see a great tale of a man who started really well asking God for his wisdom. And at one point, he would be the wisest man on earth, but due to intermixing and marrying, he brought the worship of Kamesh among the Israelites to please his foreign wife. And it doesn't conclude the way that we would want it to. It's a warning for us to be careful. But we don't see that in Joshua. What we see in Joshua is a man who is pushing and urging Israel to stay faithful. He's using his last moments not to brag about his military um, conquest. We're seeing a man who, who is here talking about God and, and how do you stay close to God and how do you end well. And when Joshua declares the stance for his household, Israel responds that they will indeed be faithful. But the next response, the thing that's really paralyzing me with fear or had when I first read it was this. He tells them that they cannot serve God because God is a holy and jealous God and that he will not forgive them for rebellion or sin. And I was like, wait, what? That is the exact opposite of the Bible that we talk about. That is the exact opposite of what God says. Confess to God and he is sure to forgive you. He will take your inequities as far as the east is from the west. How is this true? Because in verse 20, it explains, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. And so ultimately what was taking place was he was saying, you can't have two gods. You may only have one. And that is the real God, Jehovah God. And this God will not split his throne with someone else. You cannot serve both God and an idol. It's not possible. And at this last act in trust, we see Joshua set up a huge stone as a witness. A reminder of the covenant between the people of Israel. This is actually the seventh memorial to show what God had done for the people of Israel his constant provision. Talk about a parting gift. Joshua is leaving a stone by the place of worship that will remind them of the covenant that they were making with God. Joshua is tying up loose ends and reminding the people of Israel who it is who has led them and has been faithful to them. Joshua trusted in God to take the promised land and Joshua was trusting God to continue to lead those who he would no longer be around for. It's a nice stamp on a life that has ended well. 
Look at Joshua 24, 31. Actually, I want to look at the verse before that. Joshua 30. Joshua 29. Joshua 24, 29. After these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. 110 years was the ideal age in ancient Egypt to live to. That spoke of a blessing. And if you were to cross-reference that into Genesis, I believe it's 5036, you see that that's the same age that Joseph dies at. And I find it even more incredible that it says, and they buried him in his own inheritance, the place that he believed he would be brought to, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And listen to this. If this isn't incredible, I don't know what is. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. I think most of us would hope that such a thing would be said about us at the end of our time here on earth. It's also interesting that Joseph's bones were brought up from Egypt into the promised land and buried in the plot of land that Jacob had bought from Hamer's sons. The promise that God had made was being fulfilled in each detail. So many of you today might think the way I think. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life leading up today, and I make one at least every single day. But the good news is that you have the opportunity to end well still. We serve a very patient God who is waiting for you to renew just as the Israelites did with him at Shechem. Some things that I learned today, some things that I learned that I wanted to share with you today is one, that we cannot determine what those after us will do, but we can ensure a good setup or foundation. So stay the course. Notice that it is the final part of Joshua 24. There is an emphasis that Israel was faithful the entire time of Joshua and the elders that outlived him. Wouldn't that be incredible to hear that one day? The birds were faithful so long as Papa Joe was around and the eldest daughters and Conrad, who outlived him, served God. What we are doing and how we live affects the generations that come after us. Two, I want you to trust in the provision and protection of God. Recently, a friend's mother reminded him, don't let your doubt in the darkness cloud what you have known in the light. Feelings do not determine God's faithfulness. Hold on dearly to those moments that God has provided and the protection that God has offered. Jeremiah 17, 7, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. It leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Listen to this. Isn't that beautiful? That trusting in the Lord brings life. It is life-giving because when you think of a stream, you think of water that is just trickling down and, and it is nourishing everything that is along that. The livestock that might be dwelling there, the wild animals, the grass, the trees, it's amazing. 
And that is how trusting the, the Lord is. It's life-giving. Three, set a f- path for your family or household. Be diligent. Like the landscaper at my house, get to the very root of what you have built your family on. Re-till the soil if you have to and build a better foundation. Make small steps each day to lead to a greater faithfulness. May the foundation be built on the very words of God. During quarantine, I've learned so much about the importance of keeping your word to your family. And I can sometimes live my life where I can get so busy and what's important is no longer important anymore. But then when we are forced to slow down, and I thank God for the quarantine, and I hope that doesn't hurt anyone that's listening here. Because I think of the good it's done for me and for my family and for how much closer it has brought me to my daughters and my son and my wife. And, and just not skipping times of prayer and not skipping sweet devotional times where we can read together and build the foundation together and even talk over some of the catechisms that we have been learning. Set a path. Your first ministry, that is your first ministry is your family. So set a path for them. Something that they can see and then walk in that God has prepared for you that you are helping to illuminate and make easier for your family to walk in. Last, don't be ashamed to renew the covenant. Sometimes our beginnings can be muddled as we are walking with God and have lost sight of the way he has prepared for us. But that doesn't mean what we continue to do is okay. It doesn't mean that we just keep walking on our own. We need to recommit and not to be embarrassed. I remember once as I was a cart pusher at Target, there was a woman that was walking into the store and she kept repeating, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And it wasn't that loud. It was actually underneath her breath. And I was completely intrigued. So I walked up to her and I said, ma'am, what are you thanking Jesus for? Which she said, I have lived my life for myself for so long, claiming I knew him, but I'm not now. It doesn't matter what I'm thanking him for because he knows exactly what I'm thanking him for and he's already taken care of it. Do we live like that? Do we trust in what God has done for us? Are we trusting in the protection and provision? Have we made a stand for our family? Are we committed to finish well, to finish the way that we have started? As we wrap up Joshua and we see this man consumed with faith in a God who fulfills his promise, let's join in this trust. If that hasn't been your experience and you are doing your own thing, don't wait. Make the decision for you and your future household or your household that you have and renew your covenant. It's not too late to end well. Rejoice in how great your father is and ask him how to let you end well. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for Joshua, who is an example, one of the few examples that we see in the Bible of someone ending well. We see, God, that there were so many things that would pop up to try to instill fear in Israel. But as Joshua trusted you, God, he accomplished great and big things. God, you were with him the entire step of the way. That You prepared the path, God, and you showed him how to walk it, and he walked it with you. 
And the people of Israel listened and followed behind where they would say, yes, he is our God. And yes, we will follow him. What a great mark of a leader that those underneath him would want to follow you. God, I pray that you would be with us the rest of this week. And I pray, God, that you would be blessed and glorified in our county and in our nation and in our world. Because it is your promise, God, that we cling to. And it is a promise for those that call out to you by name and ask you to be their father. We pray for your blessing for the rest of this week. We ask that you would be with us in your son's holy name. Amen. That was amazing, Jake. Thank you. There is a couple moments where I laughed so hard I had to stifle myself to uh, make sure I didn't make it on the broadcast. Um, Refuge Church, I think I can speak for the whole team when I say we miss you guys. We love you all so much. We're um, excited to be near you and close to you and sharing the same physical space again, hopefully soon. But until then, um, continue to join us in incarnating King Jesus in city life, speaking its languages, singing its rhythms, sharing its spaces freeing the oppressed, fighting injustice, finding people of peace, inviting the city into the kingdom of God.